0: Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Going into this past weekend, Samuel Gold posted his latest episode of Sam's Film Room, focusing on DK Metcalf. He joins us on the show today to talk about it, as well as the latest news from around the NFL. Sam, I know we're still a few weeks off from the season, and who knows if we'll get a normal preseason, but I'm ready, I'm hopeful, and I'm optimistic, all those things at once, that they're going to work out.
1: Yeah, man, I feel you, and man, fingers crossed that we actually do get a full season. And even if they cut out preseason games, I'm all for it as long as we get to protect that season.
0: Yeah. And and then, I mean, even if we, if we don't have preseason games, at least we'll have guys, you know, doing uh, interviews uh, with media, you know, maybe it's not in person, but maybe they're still doing the Skype interviews. I, I just, I'll feel that much more connected uh, if if we're at least, you know, having player interviews as part of training camp. And, and, and I feel, I feel like once we start hearing those interviews, once we start
1: seeing just even just the photos from even b- just basic walkthroughs. It just gets you really excited
0: again just to, just for everything to restart. Yes, and, and that August always seems to go by fast. So I just to be that much closer to August, I'm fired up. And I, I'm fired up to talk football with you today, Sam, because we had some big news on Monday. Uh, not Seahawks news, but just NFL-wide news as Patrick Mahomes agrees to a 10-year contract with the Kansas City Chiefs, and it's upward of four hundred million dollars. So th- this is a, a pretty impressive deal for a pretty impressive quarterback. Yeah, it's I I'm blown away by it, and it's it's kind of crazy to, to think about
1: that. Anybody a would be willing to sign a ten year contract, considering that we don't know what the league's going to look like in a couple years, and and at that point, you know you have the guys like the Kirk Cousinses or those or Deshaun Watson or Dak Prescott who want a three or four or five year deals so that they can just get another contract later on. And then you have Mahomes that just says, screw it. I'm in Kansas City for the rest of my life. He's on, he's on the books for 12 years and upwards. Yeah, as you said, you combine everything together with his rookie deal, like $500 million or something like that. It's, it's
0: crazy. I just, I can't believe it. it. It was pretty shocking. And it does make you wonder because, you know, with so many quarterbacks, like we see Russell Wilson sign in four-year extensions and, you know, some of these other quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, it sounds like he's only trying to get a three-year deal you know how much money are would Mahomes be leaving on the table being the caliber of quarterback he is but at the same time maybe he looks at that and says you know it's enough for me to be uh, breaking deals that we haven't even seen in major league baseball and doing it on the football field to be able to to stand out that way and then maybe on the back end he's he's looking at it long term as being able to where the Chiefs can manage his cap long term it sounds like his salary isn't going to be set to, uh, you know, tied into the salary cap at all. So this could be a really good deal for the chiefs and long-term with Mahomes, he could be looking at winning titles versus trying to make the most money out of all the quarterbacks. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that kind
1: of blows my mind is that it's just, it's just being willing to take that deal and knowing that you're potentially leaving money on the field. But I mean, if, if you look at his contract and at least, at least from what I've seen he has something like two hundred million dollars in guarantees, and, and then a lot of that's protected just due to injury. So I, I, don't, I can't remember what the percentage is, but it's 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 already really really high. So it's I mean the guy the guy's obviously set for life, and it's I'm 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 sure when when you're like a, a kid going to a school in Lubbock and playing for Texas Tech, you're not thinking about half a billion dollars. I mean you're probably just thinking, oh I just want to make it. And now he's thinking MVP Super Bowls, and now half a billion dollars and. I don't know. Maybe
0: he'll get a stake of the cheese franchise. And then the next time he does this, who knows? it's tough to even think of a guy making it through that long of a contract. And I mean, even when we see guys who sign six year deals who three and four years into the deal are saying, hey, wait a second, everybody else is making more money than me. And I'm still, you know, one of the top players. I think of Julio Jones with the Falcons, right? You know, he signed a long-term deal, and it, I feel like every offseason we're hearing about how he's going to sit out because he's not paid like one of the top three receivers in the league. Yeah, and 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 that's just the crazy part is that, I mean, in
1: in in five years, it's likely that Mahomes will will be just be a top five, top six, just in terms of payment, and 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 maybe he might come back to this to today and be like, "All right, well, maybe I should have only signed for four years or five years or six years and kind of built those contingencies in." And I. I wonder how they got to that point where they said, all right, let's do 10 years and let's get this done versus why not four years? Why not or like why not just five years like the like the Dak Prescott deal or or, or, or the supposed supposed deal that might come out where, you know, it's it, he's on those books until he's until he's 30. And that way that he can just sign that new deal when the league is, is going to keep crushing and keep making more money.
0: Yeah. If Russell Wilson wants to play until 45, how about we see a 14 year extension now? And uh, and let's let's lock him in as a Seahawk for life. Yeah, I don't at this point. Let's just let's just do it. You know, why not? <laughs> All right, Sam. Well, I do want to talk DK Metcalf. You put a video up at field dot com here just going into the holiday weekend. And I cannot get enough DK Metcalf. So this was this was great going into the weekend. And I want to go back just to remind people of how how it came to be that he even ended up in Seattle because Leading up to the draft last year, this was a guy who was getting a lot of attention. And there were some concerns. I feel like the biggest question mark with him was injury concerns. And I remember talking to Rob Staten of Seahawksdraftblog.com about how he thought he didn't think that uh, that Metcalf would go in the first round because of injury concerns and that maybe he was a little bit more focused on the business side of football versus being, uh, dialed in toward playing and people, you know, kind of pushed back on the idea that he wouldn't last outside of the the first round because people were talking about him being a top 10 pick. And then ultimately he gets taken with the very last pick of the second round. And it's just incredible that, that he fell that far, but I, there, I mean, there were some valid concerns, right? Yeah. I mean, 100%, you can, you can look over his
1: history at Ole Miss and you can say, all right, he had problems with agility, which everybody seems to point to with this three-cone time. Right. Uh, he only ran a handful of routes, slants, hitches, and fades, which is, as we've already kind of talked about, my videos up on fieldgoals.com, um, where I kind of broke down each of those routes and how he runs them. And that makes up 60% of his targets. And then just in general – It's just, it didn't seem like he was overall fully developed in terms of his hands and pairing his hands and his footwork in terms of just how he runs his routes uh, outside of those, like with other receivers, you see them kind of master a dig. You see them kind of master um, the drag in order to push up and then push back. You then see other receivers just have this kind of innate ability to run kind of the full gambit of routes, including things like double moves. And in college, I mean, honestly, I didn't really like eighty percent of those routes that he ran. Hmm. the The routes that I loved from him was the the fade, the back shoulder fade, and I liked the slant. And that was pretty much it. And I liked seeing him in space. So, so that so maybe you can add in this, the drag to that then also. Yeah. But you look at his other routes back at Ole Miss, and they they just weren't the greatest because he just didn't master the subtlety, of the footwork. Um, he ran a lot of his fade routes like he was kind of like running as a speedster instead of a six foot four monster who weighs 230 pounds. (laughs) Like it's, it's, it felt like an identity issue along with a technique issue. And I feel like he's coming into his own now. And it's, it feels like he's coming into his own as this X receiver. And, and maybe it all it took was playing alongside a guy like Tyler Lockett, who's going to be like, come on, man. Like you're just like a big dude play that way. And maybe that's all it took. And I, I, and I don't know if from, from my standpoint, just what really, really impresses me is that it's just you can see the level of trust that he has with Russell Wilson. Just even from the first game, they're running back shoulder fades in the first game of the season. Wasn't he even dealing with kind of like injury issues coming even into the yeah, season? We didn't see just, him just,
0: really at all in the preseason. And the the throw that I think yeah. about that involves so much trust was in that Bengals game where Russell Wilson scrambles around and and DK Metcalf starts uh, heading downfield and even you know with the corner trailing and the safety coming over you know Russell just lobs him a a perfect pass and and Metcalf gets up and flexes and it was you know it was at that point I felt like all of this offseason because he was still hyped throughout the offseason even despite falling all the way to the end of the second round I felt like fans were maybe even overhyping him going into the season and and in that offseason I just remember trying to to dial people back a little bit saying you know this is his first year there are these valid criticisms of his route running let's let's not go expecting him to break off a 1000 yard season in in his first season with the Seahawks
1: yeah no 100% and that's uh, i i had that same i had the same kind of uh conversations where i said you know may, may, maybe maybe he plays for And and I hate I hate bringing up injury concerns, and I hate being that guy. And I was like, I was like, maybe he plays for twelve games in the season. Maybe maybe he averages I don't know fifty yards a game, and so he gets you five six hundred yards. And honestly, for a second round player who plays a very very specific role in this offense, like that would have been a decent year. Absolutely. And 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 then you see him hitting nine hundred yards, and he's just a focal point. And 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 you see and and I look and I look, and this is something I pointed out in my video: is that week three against the Saints. Marshawn Lattimore covered him Mm -hmm. the best cornerback on that team covered him week 16 against the Cardinals. Patrick Peterson followed him around the field and covered him. You can already see the respect that he has just based on game plans where defensive coaches are scared of him. And and he has that ability to create those monster plays. And and when you're getting Patrick Peterson covering you, Patrick Peterson did shut him down for the entire game. I'll give him like, yeah, you have to be able to say that it's, it's, it's important to note that he still earned that respect and i think he's only going to get better as as another offseason and and you can already see videos of him catching balls from Russell Wilson during uh even during this quarantine
0: time and you know it's it's crazy well and i do think that you know having that that experience of being matched up on a guy like Patrick Peterson too is is going to be what allows him to grow as a player so I guess I wasn't as much concerned about the fact that he was shut down by Peterson. It was it was more impressed by, like mm-hmm. you said, the fact that he was being followed around by Peterson. Exactly. No, and, and, and that's the point is that if you're if you're
1: already getting star coverage as a rookie, uh that's I mean, that's impressive. And it, and it wasn't even yeah, it was it was legit star coverage. They or the Seahawks uh coaching staff, Brian Schottenheimer, he moved them around from the left to the right side and even to the slot. And Patrick Peterson pretty much followed him all over the place, except for the slot, which is just the way that the Cardinals defense works with their outside cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. And when you, when, when you're flipping a one star coverage to that point, it means that the other cornerback has to be comfortable with moving as well and taking the opposite guy. That's, that's a determination before the game where they decide, Hey, I'm going to take this guy left or right. And you have to be comfortable ped, backpedaling and, and, and flipping your hips, both directions in order to, be able to do in order to, be able to cover both both ways in all these routes and and they agree to that. So it's, it's, yeah, as, as, as you said, it's less, it's less about him not doing well in that game. Cause again, he was as God awful of a game as it probably could have been for him. Uh, but in terms of just demanding that respect in the beginning uh, is, is I think is going to be key in getting that experience right now for his second season.
0: And that's key. But we've now touched on some of the biggest positive takeaways. After the break, let's come back and talk about some of the areas where Metcalf could improve and where Sam sees DK's potential ceiling as an NFL receiver. We'll get to that coming up next. Talking to Samuel Gold, be sure and follow him on Twitter at Samuel R. Gold. Subscribe to his YouTube channel at youtube.com samuelgoldnfl NFL. And before the break, we were talking issues and concerns about his route tree based on what you watched from last season. Do you think he started to overcome some of that? I do think so. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think there are some points that he
1: needs to fix. Like he kind of drifts on his, on his routes where he invites defensive backs back in the game. I think at times, I, th- I think for me, it's, it's the fade route footwork that kind of gets me is that he still runs it like a speedster. As opposed to running it with physically, physically, and just boxing people out and getting away with the, you know, like the veteran shoves at the top of your routes. He's he still he still needs to work on those. To to me, I started just seeing him to become more consistent overall with the little minor details of his stems and just how he pushed defenders around, even if it didn't come up all the time. Like you, even even against like in the Bucks in Week Nine, you can look at it as in the Eagles game in the wild card. I mean, he was, he was very, very impressive. And I, I saw a level of development in there that instantly makes him uh, a threat uh, at least, at least to turn the corner uh, next season and and produce even more if possible.
0: Where do you see his ceiling as a receiver? Uh, That's a really good question. Uh, I
1: don't, I don't see him as a Julio Jones guy. I don't, I don't just, just because he's just, I don't think he's, he has that agility, him, him running It's, it's the one route that Julio Jones has mastered. It's called a blaze out. It looks, people will call it a post corner um, or a post out. And that's, um, and, and the, it's, it's actually called a blaze out where what happens is that you're running, you're, you're running straight down the field, about eight to 12 yards. You then turn for your post and then you have to be able to drop your hips and be able to sprint back towards the sideline. And what happens is that you get into the blind spot of a cornerback who's bailing. And then once you drop your hips and turn, you can usually win back towards the sideline and be wide open. And, but in order to execute that, you have to have, uh, amazing hip flexibility. You have to have perfect ankle, like, like, and like mobility in order to be able to drop your hips and turn that much and watching DK try to run that route. And I only really saw him run, run that route, like once or twice. Uh, it was, it was awful and it, it was just something that his, I don't think his ceiling is that type of player, but he doesn't, you don't need to have that ceiling of that type of player for, for me, it's, I, I, I see him as a top 10 to top 20 type guy. I'm not sure he'll ever be a top 10 receiver in the NFL. And, may, and, and maybe in a year, everyone will laugh at me for saying what I'm saying right now. I just, just to me right now, he seems like a ceiling of a top 15 guy. But to me, that's plenty good enough for this team in exactly the role that they needed him, especially opposite of a guy like Tyler Lockett.
0: Well, and that's what you have to consider, too. I mean, to be top 15, you have to be on a team that throws the ball, one, you know, a lot. And, you know, yeah. Julio being, you know, on the on the Falcons with Matt Ryan throwing to him, they throw the ball a lot. So, uh, and he's, you know, really the guy, whereas you, you can still make the argument of whether the guy is Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. It's going to be one of the two. And and maybe it's just that they're as long as they're both together on the team uh, they're you're going to find them splitting the uh, the throws between those two players until one starts to stand out more than the other. But, um, you know, one thing that you pointed out, too, of areas where he could improve is the uh, the number of drops. And it really stood out to me when you showed the graph of his drops per catchable passes mm. and comparing him to other players in the league that, you know, he would have to cut his drops essentially in half to be on the positive side of the average NFL receiver. Yeah. And that's it. exactly, exactly
1: the, the takeaway that I had too. is that he had uh, if I'm remembering correctly, eight drops right. on 66 catchable targets. And in order to be uh average, uh, that number would have to be a little over four on average. So, so basically get the number, as you said, in half down to four. And I think that, it's one of those things where he's made some spectacular plays and then he's made some horrible drops. So to me, it kind of comes down to uh, a level of concentration. It comes down to what, what I consider is that uh, if the ball was outside his frame, he sometimes, I just don't think he has, he he is the best at connecting his hands to his body and in in that kind of that mentality of uh, envisioning where the ball is and be able to fully extend and bring it back in. And and to me, that's that's where I see it, is that that's just going to take time and practice, especially with a quarterback like Russell Wilson. And the thing is that you can look over some of his plays. The Marshawn Lattimore play that we talked about earlier, uh, where he, I showed in the mid- beginning of my video where Russell Wilson was scrambling around, it was the end of the second half, and he lobbed it up and DK stretched out fully and took it to the ground. I mean, that's that's excellent concentration, and that's an amazing play. And And you don't expect a guy that, Can create this impressive, amazing place to drop it as much as he does at this level. It's just something that he just has to work on. It's that it's the routine passes that he needs to be able to bring in.
0: That and the other thing that I that you pointed out that I'd kind of forgotten about a little bit were the fumbles last year. And you pointed out the one against the Ravens that was returned for a touchdown. I remember him fumbling, which I. The the one of him fumbling against the forty ers and I think it was that Week Ten victory where, yeah. uh, you know, he was just fighting hard for the goal line and got it knocked out uh, just uh, just ahead of the goal line. That was that was just him trying, I think, to be a little bit more competitive than than maybe he needed to be in that sense. And that one doesn't bother me as much. I, I don't remember quite when the third one was, but the Ravens one was bad. The uh, Vikings uh, Vikings Week Thirteen was the other okay. one. So that one didn't uh, and I think, result in a loss. And I, think, I don't think
1: what one of yeah, one yeah, and is like one of them was the pier. It just fell out of his hand. And that was, I think that was the fluke one against the Ravens. And the Vikings one was very similar to the 49ers where um, it was just a, a hit while he's trying to fight for extra yards that just jarred it loose. Or um, honestly, I thought he was either down, down at the ground or close to it. So it was one of those things where a half a second later, if he held on to it, it would have been just completion.
0: It was, it's, it's, Flukes are two flukes and one where it was really wet and uh, it slid out of his arms.
1: And and fumbles in general are are, I tend to believe they're pretty fluky. And it's uh, like unless you can look at like quarterbacks like I did. I just recently just did a video on Daniel Jones and he had some fumbles that were him completely not knowing there was a defender near Mm -hmm. him that blew him up. And then the ball just goes flying left and right. So it was for that. It's like pocket. It, you can account it to pocket presence. Whereas something like with DK, man, I just, I, I, I hope it's a fluke, and I just, I just hope
0: we never see them again. Yeah, definitely sounds like drops could could be the the more of the issue that to to worry about. Yeah,
1: I, I think so. Yeah,
0: are there are there anything else that you see in his game that are really keeping him from kind of being considered among those NFL elite receivers? I, I just, I looked at the graph and I saw just how ridiculous it was that Michael Thomas with. Twice as many catchable passes than than DK uh, had yeah. almost, and had two fewer drops. And that's yeah, it's 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 pretty
1: insane that so, the best receivers are uh, are are below that graph. You can DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, all those guys are definitely below the below the average line on that graph in my video. And when you get when you get to that point where you can be trusted and relied upon. Uh, I, 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 th- I think that is the next point is that if he didn't have those drops, you're, you're, you're looking at easily another hundred yards and that's, that, that's, that's a thousand yards on this season for a rookie. So, I mean, it's obviously everybody will drop something and it's, it's, it's unfair to say that he, he should never drop the ball because that's just realistically not going to happen. It's just like you said, cut, cut them in half and I'll be happy.
0: Well, Sam, as the Seahawks go into this season, you know, a lot of, a lot has been made about Russell Wilson working out with Antonio Brown. A lot's been made out of the fact that Josh Gordon's preparing to, you know, applying for reinstatement into the league and that kind of, that depth would help Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Where do you, how do you feel about where the Seahawks are at a wide receiver?
1: I think overall, I think if they get Josh Gordon, I'll be happy. If they get him back, I'll be a lot happier Mm. right now. I, I'm not, it's, it's definitely not a weakness because Metcalf and Lockett are both good. I'm just really worried about that third wide receiver spot is that if, if, and when they run, um, 11 personnel or three wide receivers, they, they need another guy opposite, um, or another guy to help out on the outside. And, and Philip Dorsett, said, you know, he's, he's, he's just a guy. And I, I just, I just don't have a, I'm not going to say I, I don't respect him Cause that's not true. He's in the NFL. Of course I respect him. It's, it's one of those things where it's. He's he's just not a guy that I want to rely upon unless I'm throwing it deep uh, and he's wide open. Yeah. If I'm going to be building my offense as the as the team currently stands, I'm going to be focusing more on 12 personnel and bringing in two tight ends uh, with Will Disley and Greg Olson. And I'm, I'm going to hope that Will Disley is healthy. I'm going to hope that Colby Parkinson recovers from that foot injury. I'm going to hope that Jacob Hollister, if he's still on the team in a month, who really knows? I don't really understand this situation with. I was getting paid three million dollars. It blows my mind. Uh, I'm 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 gonna run twelve personnel, and I'm I'm probably gonna probably gonna hammer it with Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde, and use the tight ends a lot more. And I I I feel like that's probably gonna be more of the ticket this year, just based on the current roster as it stands.
0: As it stands with the roster, it definitely feels like that's where the strength of the team is versus uh, having three wide receivers on the field. Whether it's Philip Dorsett, whether it's David Moore. Even though they went out and got Dorset, it, it does seem like another guy could fit in well there. And so yeah, maybe if that's Josh Gordon, then uh, then that would help strengthen that group a little more.
1: And to to me to me, that's all it takes take is that if you get Josh Gordon, that's that's a, a one through four that I could be very happy about. So it's to me that's all it takes is just Josh Gordon coming back. Cause right now David Moore has a three or four, or even Freddie Swain, I think from Florida or wherever he's from, it's I just I just don't have a lot of faith in that spot. And if any injuries happen to Tyler or to DK and man, I'm going to knock on wood a thousand
0: times right now. So that doesn't happen. Uh, I mean, the Seahawks are boned if that's the case, <laughs> it does put them in a tough spot. So, uh, Samuel gold of field goals, check out his video. If you haven't already over the weekend, 11 or 12 minutes worth checking out and, and really getting an idea of what those routes were that he ran well. And some of the ways that, uh, Metcalf could improve in the future. just, it's uh, it's amazing that going into his second year uh, that he has still so much upside and that that they really did get the production out of him that they did in his rookie season. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks once again, Sam, for coming on. If you haven't yet checked it out, hop on over to field dot com. Look for Sam's post with the headline Sam's film room. Also, the latest news about the Raiders making a contract offer to Jadavion Clowney and a closer look at Patrick Mahomes, record setting contract extension. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can get every episode as soon as it's out at SBNation.com slash NFL Podcasts. I'm planning another episode for later this week. You're going to want to make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. So until then, go Hawks.